Welcome to Making Sense of the Madness. I'm your host, Sean Morgan. We're going to question the mainstream narrative and expose media pop- pop- propaganda. We're going to talk to Dr. Kirk Elliott. He's going to give us a financial update. And then we're going to talk to Lieutenant Colonel Scott Mann, retired from the U.S. Army Special Operations Green Beret. And he has been a co-founder of Task Force Pineapple. And it is a an effort to get Afghan allies out of Afghanistan, away from reprisals from the Taliban. We're going to talk to him all about it as soon as we get back from a word from our sponsor. In early 2021, a short squeeze in silver was initiated. What does this mean? It means that individual investors can take advantage of a global supply shortage in silver, while the big banks will have to end their contracts with physical delivery of an asset that's becoming scarce to non-existent. Low supply plus high demand will cause prices to increase rapidly. The only way to take advantage of a short squeeze is to own physical silver. Call Sovereign Advisors today. They have over 27 years of experience identifying these trends. So so you can maximize your return while at the same time minimize your risk. Call them today before prices go up any further. 720-605-3900. Hello, everyone. This is John Michael Chambers, the creator and founder of American Media Periscope. On behalf of everyone here at Periscope, I wish you all a very Merry Christmas, Happy Holidays, and a happy, healthy, safe, and prosperous New Year. May God continue to shine his light over all of our brothers and sisters here in America and all across the world. Merry Christmas, everyone. Merry Christmas everywhere. All right. We're going to talk to Dr. Kirk Elliott. He is the founder of Kirk Elliott Private Advisors. Uh, Kirk, are you available? I'm here. How are you, Sean? (laughs) Doing well. Uh, you know, it's just kind of crazy to watch the financial world. One day the stock market's up sometimes for no reason. Another day it's down because maybe there's a new variant that everyone's afraid of. Uh, what's the latest now in the markets? Well, today the stock market took a big digger. I mean, it was down like 500 points. And that was just on the news that that Joe Manchin, Democratic senator from West Virginia, said, I'm not really going to gonna." gonna vote for this BBB, the Build Back Better plan that, that Biden has, um, because it's just like, it's an insane. All it is, is going to be more unrelenting printing of money. And he's he's got some financial sense. I mean, it, it's just, it's really refreshing to see. So if he, they don't have his vote, it probably doesn't pass. And so the stock market is is thinking, what, without this stimulus money, the stock market's going to stink. The economy is going to be terrible, right? And that's exactly what's happening. 500 point sell off today because they don't think it's going to pass. And the only thing keeping the economy afloat right now, Sean, is stimulus money. It's not like it's thriving because we've got tons of people working. It's not like it's thriving because we've got low taxes. It's not that it's thriving because we've got interest rates that are poised to come down. People know that they're going to have a higher bottom line and a lower cost of borrowing. In fact, the opposite is true. We've got massively rising taxes. We've got inflationary pressures like we've never seen. In fact, last week, we, we talked on, on your show here about the inflationary pressures, how in the last 30 days, they now have gone from 45 to 6.8%. That's a 44% rate of increase in the inflationary numbers. I mean, that's Venezuela-style inflation growth. And for that reason, since the last time I was on your show just a week ago, um, 
Jerome Powell, basically the Fed, had a meeting that said next year we're going to have to raise rates three to six times, minimum three, probably maximum six. So then Larry Summers, um, you know, basically Treasury Secretary for for um, Obama Clinton in that that uh, genre. What did he say? He said, if we have three rate increases next year, NASDAQ probably gets hit 50% correction and, and Bitcoin comes down probably 70%. Why? Because the cost of borrowing goes up. People aren't going to have as much money to spend. When they don't have as much money to spend, corporate revenues come down, earnings come down, and therefore stock prices come down, right? So, so now you've got people on the Democratic side saying this, this BBB plan, this these the inflationary pressures that we're seeing, Bidenomics does not work. And we're starting to see that manifested now in stock prices and, and other kind of things. But but when you look at the at the interest rate schedule rise for, for next year, it's a minimum three, maximum six. And they've been holding off for so long, Sean, uh, to not raise rates because they know that if they raise rates when we're shackled with debt as a country, that it's going to kill the economy. And and Nobody wanted to do that. But what's worse than that? Moms and dads and kiddos not being able to afford to eat and having to make the choice between should we pay our rent or should we eat this month, right? This is what the, the ravaging impacts of inflation are on our economy. So therefore, they have to slow it down or else we do go into banana republic type hyperinflation, which, which there's now been numerous people that have actually put the word hyper in front of in inflation. So, um, you know, it's just we're entering into a time that we've never seen in this country. When have we ever seen a time, Sean, where inflation, the rate of growth of inflation has gone up 44 percent in one month? But when you look back just this morning, President Trump said the, the main cause for the inflationary pressures right now are rising energy prices. And so you look and say, what has what energy prices done? The, the broad category is up 33.3% over the last 12 months. Gasoline prices up 58.1% over the last 12 months. Natural gas up 24.1% over the last 12 months. So that's just one factor of, of the means of production, right? So you add on top of fuel and energy, you have the cost of transportation, you have the cost of everything else, and all of that additive additions, prices are putting us into an inflationary state that unless there's a reset, we're not going to get out of this. And, and, it's, and it's interesting to see the markets now starting to react to president or to imposter, whatever you want to call him, Biden, um, and his economic policies are saying, with, without stimulus money, the stock market is not going to bode very well. Um, the U.S. economy is not going to fare very well, right? And so so that's what these, these knee-jerk reactions to news stories are telling us, is that people, and how many people? 68% of America now doesn't believe that Biden's economic plan is good for America. 68%. So, which is probably yeah, I think the number something of people like, that actually did vote for Trump, right? But, <laughs> but that's a big number. <laughs> but I think it's something like 90% believe inflation is a significant issue. So the, the average American, uh, you know, nine out of 10 probably understand that inflation's an issue. It's affecting their pocketbooks already. They have expectations for it getting even worse. 
And it makes sense when you describe that energy prices are going up, that's going to make everything else go, go up because you, you need energy to make products and to transport products. And, but I'm seeing spots around the world, like the EU natural gas prices are up like 500%. Uh, they're trying to shut down coal, coal-fired power plants because of carbon emissions. There, there are all kinds of different pressures, right, that just exacerbate the whole inflation issue. Uh, and, and yeah, it makes people just want to try to figure out a strategy of how to protect themselves. And of course, precious metals are always uh, the classic inflation hedge. Uh, what are you thinking is makes more sense right now? Gold, silver, both? What are you thinking? Well, that so uh, people ask me that all the time, Sean. That's a, that's a really great question, and and my answer is for the last year has been silver. And but but why why silver? Well, if you look at the price of gold and compare it to silver, right? It has a ratio. So historically, that that number is twenty to one. It means it takes twenty ounces of silver to buy one ounce of gold. So if you took the price of silver, let's just call it 25 bucks and multiply it times 20, that comes to $500. It's like, wait a second, gold's not $500. It's like 1800, right? So so this so that ratio is where is it today? It's at 80 to 1. This is near an all-time high, 80 to 1. So what that number tells us is that either gold is overvalued or silver is undervalued. That's the only thing that number tells us. So how can you tell if gold is overvalued then? Well, what causes its growth? The, the factors that cause gold's growth are political instability, inflationary pressures, and unsustainable debt. Those are the big three. Well, do we see that we're going to have global peace tomorrow? Nope. How about uh, debt going away tomorrow? Nope. What about inflation going away tomorrow? Nope. So if none of them are going away, then the trend will continue on, right? So gold is not overvalued. In fact, gold is going to continue to go up, which means an 80 to 1 ratio means that silver has some catching up to do, right? So, so that's why we're going into silver. So here's my strategy. At 80 to 1, when the ratio hits 40 to 1, it's half, right? That means we sell off half of our silver going to gold at that point. And you get twice as many ounces of gold then than what you could have purchased today. Well, then it goes from 40 to 20. Again, that's another half down. So we can double up the ounces of gold yet again. See, by using that ratio and in, in going into the one that's actually undervalued at the time, I could double your ounces moving forward in gold and then double them again, just as it gets down to its historical average. And then at that point, we're 100% into gold. And when the ratio goes up to 40 to one again, ooh, what do we do? We sell our gold and we go back into silver. Again, doubling our number of ounces of our silver that we could have purchased on day one to then. This is a compounding asset strategy where we can compound our ounces and the price of metals don't even need to go up or down. They just need to change in relation to each other, right? To make that, that ratio change. And when it does, we can take advantage of it even if gold and silver are trading in a range, we can still compound the number of ounces we own by being in the right metal at the right time. How do I know? By looking at the ratio. And the ratio right now is pointing us towards silver in a big, huge way. So I wouldn't put any money into gold. I would do 100% into silver just because that's what math and logic tell us to do. Just looking at the historical ratio, that, that makes sense. And what I like about... This strategy is that you're not trying to trade your precious 
and I mean super precious metals for worthless paper. You're trying to get trade your precious metals for a more precious other metal. Uh, just you know, it it would make sense if if uh, you know we didn't have this runaway inflation to try to cash out, have an exit strategy here, but. Uh, I really like how you're not trying to force people into that fiat money over the long term. Well, thank you for giving us an update, Dr. Kirk Elliott, uh, Elliott Private, Private Advisors. You can check out the link in the description below. Thank you, Dr. Kirk, for coming on the show. We're going to go to a quick word from our sponsor. When we get back, we're going to talk to Lieutenant Colonel Scott Mann. He is the co-founder of the Pineapple Task Force. They have helped Afghans escape the Taliban, and we're going to talk to him all about it since we get back. Hello, everyone. This is John Michael Chambers, the creator and founder of American Media Periscope. Now, did you know that annuities are a great way to protect a portion of your retirement portfolio from downside risk? And unlike CDs and money market accounts, they accumulate tax deferred and can participate in the upside of market indexes. And they are probate-free and can provide an income you can't outlive. Let a company you can trust help you select an annuity that's right for you. Call the Cleveland Insurance Group at 844-USA-2024. That's 844-USA-2024. Tell them John Michael Chambers sent you. Well, ladies and gentlemen, my name is Scott Bennett, the host of Great Awakenings on American Media Periscope, and we are going to be bringing to you some fabulous stories in 2022 and expert skills and experience and knowledge in understanding some of these false flag events, some of these deep state conspiracies. We're going to be looking at the potential war that the Biden administration and the Democrats are going to try to launch against Russia, Iran, China. We are going to look at the possibility of them trying to assassinate Joe Biden and blaming it on the Trump supporters. And uh, we're also gonna be looking at the vaccination uh, tyranny that they are trying to throw upon the people of the United States. But most importantly, we are going to train you and empower you to fight back. Fight back in your local governments, fight back in your political uh, races, uh, fight back on every level as an American to challenge the forces of tyranny and preserve and protect your rights and your freedoms for you and your children and your posterity. So among all the voices in the alternative media, there are a few that you can depend, on, depend upon. But I would say this, that American Media Periscope is the one voice, and the people and the hosts on this channel are the people that you can always depend upon for the absolute truth and fearless aggression when it comes to exposing some of the greatest scandals, false flags, and crimes uh, that are that are occurring. So we're standing with you and we're not backing down and we hope you will continue to stand with us. God bless you and we will see you in 2022. That was from our host on American Media Periscope, Lieutenant uh, Scott Bennett. You can check out his show, Great Awakenings. And also we want to recognize our sponsor, Cleveland Insurance. You can check out the link in the description below, get a free consultation about annuities. Well, Scott Mann is the president of Rooftop Leadership and co-founder of The Hero's Journey. As a former Army Green Beret with multiple combat tours in Afghanistan and Iraq, Scott takes the lessons from working in low-trust conflict zones to help leaders find ways to build relationships and tell stories that bridge the human trust gaps we all face today. 
Scott is a playwright and actor currently bringing his play to life as a major film for national release in 2022. And he's the co-founder of Task Force Pineapple. He, along with other retired military service people, have helped thousands of at-risk Afghans escape the Taliban after the botched U.S. withdrawal. Let's welcome Scott Mann to the show. Hey, Sean. Thanks for having me. Hi, Scott. Yeah, thank you for coming on. And first of all, can you describe the problem that forced uh, retired veterans to fill a gap with the Afghanistan withdrawal? Yeah, that's probably the best question to start with. Um, You know, Afghanistan is a country that we've been operating in for 20 years. Um, And it started, obviously, with the attacks on 9-11. But, you know, shifting missions over that two-decade war. And the the underlying promise all the time, Sean, was to to build capacity in that country, to help the Afghan people stand up on their own, both at a a local community level, but also at, at at a national state level. For the obvious reason that, you know, we did not want Al Qaeda and other global terror units to be able to terror organizations to be able to have an unfettered sanctuary where they could um, operate and project from. And and that was really the focus at a counterterrorism level while simultaneously building that capacity for Afghans to stand on their own. It abruptly came to an end, um, you know, this past summer in August uh, of 2020 excuse me, 2021, where the Biden administration made a decision to rapidly exit that country to include shutting down the, the, the large air base Bagram airfield and uh, basically shutting down all efforts to get American citizens that were you know, in and around the Afghan countryside, as well as uh, applicants to what we call the SIV, uh, Special Immigration Visa, who, who were entitled to leave that country if their lives were threatened. And there were thousands of those. And so all of that was just obviated under this politically driven uh, exit plan that gave us almost no time uh, to to deal with the, you know, the, the needed exodus of American citizens and Afghans at risk. And then there was the decision to basically keep the military on the sidelines uh, throughout all of this, other than just to form a perimeter around um, Kabul airfield. And and that was it. And, and that left all of these American citizens and at-risk Afghans with only one recourse, which was to reach out to veterans, for the most part, and other civilian volunteers who they had relationships with to ask for help. And it started with one veteran at a time, one volunteer at a time, using their cell phone, uh, using signal chat rooms and WhatsApp to form these complex networks that helped guide these American citizens and at-risk Afghans across uh, enemy lines and, and into the airfield, um, but not without great cost and, uh, and unfortunately with a lot of loss. So the, the U.S. government, uh, the Biden administration, the military leadership, they failed miserably. And you and your fellow veterans who had relationships with Afghan allies started getting phone calls, right? Started getting text messages saying, hey, uh, the Taliban are going to try to kill me. Uh, what, what, what can I do? I've been waiting for two years for a visa to the United States. Can you help me out? Is, is, that, is that accurate? Yeah. The first thing I would say, Sean, and I always you know, make a, a clear path to this, is you know, I served for over two decades as a soldier and almost 18 of that as a Green Beret. And I served under multiple administrations. 
um, in Afghanistan. I served under the Bush administration, the Obama administration. Um, you know, I was connected to uh, actions of the Trump administration as a civilian working on the problem set. And what I will tell you is, quite frankly, I found I found uh, all of them to be equally underwhelming in terms of how they prosecuted the war in Afghanistan. The policy decisions, the policy outcomes, the strategies that went with all of this uh, were woefully uh inadequate to the level of leadership and, uh, and frankly, prowess that our warriors showed. Uh, and I just think it's important to point that out because, for example, the, you know, the, 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 the peace negotiations that were put in place by the Trump administration really put a lot of this stuff at risk. And, and I'm happy to dig into any of that. I wrote about it in my book, Game Changers, from a soldier's perspective. Um, when we look back at Afghanistan over the 20-year war, we need to do a much better job of holding our politicians and our generals to account because they didn't deliver. They didn't deliver over 20 years. Now, uh, to your to your more tactical point, uh, absolutely, that's the way it went down. The Biden administration owns, make no mistake, they own the, the failed uh, exodus from Afghanistan. I think history will reflect that. And the way it really manifested was like my, uh, the example of my friend Nizam, who was an Afghan special forces uh, sergeant who I had worked with for years. He reached out to me on his phone and he said, Brother, I, I, I'm not afraid to die, but please don't let me die alone. And it, it sparked a phone conversation and, and a realization that nobody else was coming. And that if Nizam was going to make it right. out of Afghanistan, it was going to be, you know, veterans uh, coming together and figuring out a way to get him out using our own network. So these U.S. veterans could have just said, sorry, buddy, I'm retired. Uh, Here's the phone number for the embassy. You're on your own. But you guys have a warrior's ethos of you don't leave people behind. Is that what motivated you, that kind of loyalty? Uh, those people were, were covering your backs for all those years, and now you wanted to cover theirs? Yeah, that's a great question. You know, in the book that I'm writing right now about this on the Pineapple Express, I, there's two primary questions that, that I'm exploring and my co-author James Meek's exploring, and it's this, is what constitutes a promise and what is involved in honoring that promise, you know, at a fundamental level. And all of us in, in our life must answer those two questions in various ways. For those of us who were called by our friends and allies in Afghanistan, you know, uh, I've heard people in the United States say, well, we didn't make them a promise. I didn't make them a promise. I mean, all we did was give them things for 20 years and they blew it. And, 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 and I will tell you that anybody that served in, combat operations in Afghanistan, or at least most people, and certainly Green Berets, uh, who work by, with, and through indigenous forces. Relationships are everything, you know, and when you, when you fight alongside someone and you help recruit them and train them and advise them in combat, I mean, I'm alive right now because of some of the actions that my allies in the Afghanistan army took on my behalf. There's an inherent promise that is in place that's unspoken. And it is that if, if someone risks their life for you and you risk your life for them, there's no way that you're ever going to leave them in harm's way. It doesn't matter where it is. And, and if you stop and think about it, Sean, I mean, all of us, for the most part, were raised that way. You know, our parents taught us that kind of thing in kindergarten, right? You don't leave your friends behind. And this is nothing more than an extension of what most of us should have learned when we were little kids, which is when you have a friendship and you invest in a friendship, and things go sideways, that's not the time to walk away. That's the time to step into the arena and help. 
And that's exactly what these veteran volunteers and these other civilian volunteers did. They saw that nobody else was coming. They saw that the institutional leadership of our country completely failed. They saw that our general officers chose, frankly, if you want my opinion, careerism over doing the right thing. And they stepped into the breach and they did the best they could with what they had. So how did this work? I mean, you you guys are not in Afghanistan. Uh, you only have, I guess, limited resources because you don't have the military resources at your disposal. Right. What, what resources did you have? What did you use? And tell me about the shepherding uh, networks that you created. That was the resource. <laughs> Uh, and, you know, frankly, uh, I tell people, if you, if you were to think about the, what, you know, what's the value proposition? And, I, and frankly, I told General Milley this, too, when I, when I sat in front of him at the Joint Chiefs of Staff and we were talking about a private-public relationship possibly to get more Afghans out. I said the real value proposition of these volunteer groups that I think is continuously undervalued by the senior military officers and, frankly, the State Department and the Biden administration and previous administrations before that is that we know who these at-risk people are. We know where they are. And unlike the government, they trust us. And that's, that's the big, that is the big value proposition that these, all of these volunteer groups, whether it was Pineapple, Task Force Dunkirk, Team America, we all enjoyed um, fidelity on where these individuals were, who they were, and they trusted us. So, when you combine that, plus an experience level in Afghanistan, that's pretty deep. You know, we knew where the crooks and crannies of that country were. And so, Sean, we were able to leverage remote communications and, re and remote oversight to help them move. The real courage, frankly, belongs to the Afghan people. I don't think we tell their story enough. You know, as a Green Beret, I was tra trained at a very young age as a young officer to really put locals first, to really value the capabilities of indigenous people. And in this case, I never saw it more true. The courage of those Afghan commandos, those Afghan special forces, those Afghan interpreters, those young girls who were going to school and, and trying to make a better life for their families. Man, did they ever demonstrate courage in the, in the crucible? Yes. Yeah, so you guys had cell phones. You you were trying to figure out with your contacts on the ground there a safe passage, and yeah. there were there were obstacles along the way, and there were pregnant women, all types of uh, you know people not easy to, to move around, people t risking a lot. Uh, some of them had to go through sewage to to get to, yeah. to freedom. So can can you can you walk us through uh, one of these rescue missions? Sure. so that we can get an idea of what it looked like. Yeah, I'll, I'll take you through like, you know, uh, you, you ask all the right questions and, and to really get your head around this. I mean, imagine um, you're um, a young Afghan male named AJ and, you know, you spent the earlier part of your adult life working as an interpreter for U.S. Army Special Forces and you went on a lot of missions and you did a lot of dangerous things and you built these relationships and then you decided to move on with your life and you became a civil engineer uh, working for the Ghani administration doing civil work projects. Well, all of a sudden everything falls apart uh, overnight and the Taliban are now in your capital city. You have uh, four young children and a, and a seven month pregnant wife and the Taliban are knocking around in your neighborhood asking about you. 
and you know, did this individual work for U.S. forces? Was he an interpreter before he was an engineer? Showing your picture, and all of a sudden now you have to you have to hastily pack everything you have. You have to leave your home. You have to leave your extended family. Take your seven month pregnant wife and your your four children and, and every anything you can carry in little plastic bags, and go to an airfield. That's your only hope, you know. And get on a phone call with a, a, a guy you used to know ten years ago. <laughs> And, and get on a phone call and he starts to guide you through hell on earth. Uh, 30,000 people. Well, first of all, you got to move through the city of Kabul, which is like the size of Seattle. But now there's Taliban at every checkpoint. They're checking all the cars. If you tell them you're going to the airfield, they'll pull you out of the taxi and beat you. So you have to have a good lie constructed right away. You have to have all of your documents sent to your guide on your phone. You can't carry anything on your person. Uh, and, and so just getting to the airfield is treacherous, Sean. Then you get to the airfield and now you have to move through a sea of flesh, 30,000 people crowding this airfield, um, you know, an airfield that's maybe the size of, you know, I don't know, like Akron, Ohio's airport. Like it's not big. Um, and you've got to get through this sea of 30,000 people that's just ebbing and flowing and crushing people right in front of you um, with, you know, it's 120 degrees out. Uh, and you're going to sit in that crowd just to make your way through it for it'll take you two to three days to get to the airfield perimeter and uh, no food, no water. And it got so bad at this point um, that AJ uh, grabbed the Taliban's weapon and put it to his head and said, either kill me and my family or let me through. And ultimately, they let him through. That was the first of three checkpoints. Um, this was a day in the life. This was a day in the life of what these Afghans endured. And imagine a traumatized veteran on the other end who's already seen five, 10 years of combat. He's listening to AJ's wife get beaten with the buttstock of an AK-47 and the children screaming and trying to keep AJ calm and guide him through. That's the truth of what this was. And frankly, still is. They've been on the phone with AJ didn't make it out. He didn't make it out. His seven month pregnant wife lost the baby. They're sitting in a home with no power now, hiding in the darkness in a safe house that we've paid for by raising money and cashing in our 401ks. And these veterans have been on a 100-day 911 call with no relief. Um, that's the reality of what this has been. I would love to spin it as some grand you know, rescue. It wasn't. It was just veterans doing what they do best when they see a really shitty situation, which is to run into the fray and lead. So there were some celebrations some victories there were almost a thousand people rescued yeah. but there were people that were lost along the way it wasn't all sunshine and rainbows um yeah but I mean, these are powerful yeah. these are powerful stories i mean besides sharing on programs like this uh tell me about other ways that you're looking to share these stories so no, I appreciate you giving us the platform for it. You know, our big thing, Sean, is we want to. Um, this is going to be a long, unfortunately, a long campaign. And it, and if anybody is going, well, I don't understand. Why are we trying to help these Afghans? Remember, our focus is on those who sacrificed for government, for liber for liberty, for democracy. Those who sacrificed, who fought to the last bullet, and were abandoned. And and so you know, if we don't show up for them and honor the promise of a brotherhood and sisterhood that is that timeless military relationship our military is going to suffer a moral injury we're going to go up above 22 a day and i think our nation will suffer a moral injury people around the world will see how we operated 
when we left our allies. And that's not going to bode well for our sons and daughters when they have to go to the next hotspot around the globe. So what we're, we want to tell the story, Sean, we want people to understand that this is right now almost exclusively a private sector effort. We need people's help through the holidays. We just in our little organization alone, we have 6,000 people that we're keeping alive. These are severely at risk commandos, young children, LBGTQ, young girls who went to school and our donations and your donations are what's keeping them alive till spring. And then when the when the spring snow or when the snows thaw, we're going to try to get more out over land in air. Uh, and it may take years, but Green Berets, SEALs, Rangers, we don't give up and we never leave somebody behind. So we're going to keep going. And so our ask, and I'm writing a book about it called Operation Pineapple Express that'll be coming out in, uh, on the anniversary. And so I just hope people will stay plugged in and continue to support this, operationrecovery.org. And, and just don't forget about our veterans and these amazing Afghans who risked so much for us. What is the status right now? How, how many, are there any Americans that still need to be, uh, still need to exit Afghanistan? And uh, what's the status with all these people that you're saying uh, maybe already got out, but there's a resettlement process, right? Yeah, there are Americans that are still behind enemy lines, make no mistake. And I, you know, I know the State Department puts out statements that they've all been contacted and uh, we just got an American out that was on our manifest and uh, OperationRecovery.org paid the airfare. The State Department didn't cover the airfare. We paid the airfare. Um, you know, there are uh, a couple more on our manifest that, we, that we've learned about that we're working right now. And I will tell you, there's a range of other volunteer organizations as well who are assisting uh, American citizens and green card holders as we speak right now. They are still in hiding and they are still in danger. So... Um, you know, that's going to be an ongoing thing uh, well into the springtime. And uh, in addition to the at-risk Afghan partners like the commandos and special forces, we have American citizens that are in duress and we will continue to work with them. And then finally, as far as the resettlement, yeah, I mean, a lot of this is, you know, we are like I'm sponsoring Nizam, my friend who was the first passenger on the Pineapple Express. Um, he's in Fort Dix right now in a resettlement camp and then he'll be moving to Tampa with his family here and he's going to live by me. And we're going to help him find employment and integrate and help his children overcome the trauma they've been through because that's what Americans do, right? I mean, that's, that's who we are and, that's, and we're going to help him settle into the community. And he is going to be a phenomenal leader and a phenomenal citizen. And, um, but there's a lot of work to be done. Why won't the State Department not only rescue these Americans, but not even pay for their flights once someone else rescues them? God, I don't know. I, I, I mean, you know, we really do want to work with the State Department and we, you know, we can't do it without them, obviously. I mean, that's part of the things that I've looked at this whole thing. And I'm like, what planet are we on where a bunch of retired men and women are doing what Department of Defense and Department of State has historically done as instruments of power and frankly, quite well for decades, not centuries, if not centuries. Um, and I don't know. I, I mean, I uh, honestly... It, if you ask me, Sean, I, I do think it comes down to political will. I mean, it's not a capacity issue, is it? Really? I mean, I mean, I find it hard to believe that we can't extract American citizens and, and, and legal permanent residents using the immense capabilities of the United States of America. Like, I, I find that hard to believe. I think it is political will, you know, an absence of political will to honor this promise. 
it's uh, very sobering to, to hear that, that there is the capacity, but there, there isn't a will. Um, there must be a capacity because you've got retired <laughs> military people, you know, yeah. fulfilling the capacity. Uh, tell me about your, your mission today, because you, you saw a need, you stepped up, you and your network of other veterans and volunteers. So what's, your, what's, what's the uh, framework that you guys are working from to continue the work that you do? Yeah, you know, it's continuing to evolve. I mean, speaking for me personally, I've been retired for almost 10 years. You know, um, up until the point where this happened, Sean, I run a leadership company. And I do storytelling, storytelling for business leaders. And I even, you know, I've been working to put the war behind me. I, you know, wrote and performed a play that became a film about the war called Last Out. Uh, hoping folks will watch that because that'll really help you understand why Afghanistan matters so much. But the point is, I didn't plan on being here. This was not in my retirement plan at all. I left the Army and government service 10 years ago because, frankly, I just thought they were full of it. I didn't like what I saw, and I didn't want to be a part of it anymore. And I, and I certainly don't want to be a part of it now, to be quite honest with you. I, I'm just kind of disgusted by it. Um, but I'm not leaving because it would be a moral injury to do so. So what we're doing is we're evolving. Uh, we formed a, a 501c3 called Task Force Pineapple uh, to take this on. Now that we've seen the scope of the problem, we're actually kind of splitting out and we're taking on um, resettlement and safe passage and advocacy using multiple 501c3s because the problem's so huge. And again, there's no government presence. This is all private sector work. So, um, you know, we for safe passage, Operation Recovery uh, is who I'm working with there primarily uh, for resettlement. Honor the Promise is who we're working with. And then we are in the process of forming pineapple as an advocacy uh organization that's going to really push congress and the government to make some change and to do the right thing over the long term because it's going to be a long-term thing and i'm writing a book uh called operation pineapple express that hopefully will bring some accountability uh a little less than a year from now at a time when uh we need some serious accountability on this issue Absolutely. So you're going to do some advocacy work. You're going to try to get the government to change their ways. But uh, what are the policy? What are the policy changes that are needed specifically? So, again, remembering that our focus right now, and I'm just going to talk about the policy changes that are needed as it pertains to special Afghan special operations forces and other at-risk Afghans. Okay, because that's where our focus is, and um, you know, American citizens. Um, if the government wanted to get those people out, they could. I believe that. Um, but in the absence of that, then we're going to press Congress to change legislation that would better enable our Afghan special operations partners, the commandos and the Afghan special forces, to come out on a special immigrant visa, which right now, Sean, they don't even qualify for. They fought until the last bullet regardless of what the Biden administration says, they were fighting after Ghani exfiltrated the country. They were still fighting. Um, they're not even eligible for the, for, for, you know, a barber on Bagram Air Base is eligible for a special immigration visa. An Afghan commando is not. And so we are focusing on getting that legislation changed so that the bravest of the brave can uh, at least be eligible for uh, evacuation from that country. That's really where we're focusing on with Congress and advocacy and, you know, the deal on that. That's going to take a little while. Right. 
Well, you spent time in Afghanistan fighting the Taliban, and now they're in charge. Any thoughts on, you know, the present political situation in Afghanistan? Uh, you know, any comments on that? Yeah, I, you know, I would, I would be – one, I hope people will watch Last Out. I really do. I hope people will watch Last Out, Elegy of a Green Beret. If you go to lastoutfilm.com, you can check it out. But um, because we really need to understand our relationship to Afghanistan. I know people want to just forget about it and, you know, we were there 20 years. But I'm going to tell you, Sean, I've been dealing with counterterrorism a long time, two decades, three decades almost. Afghanistan and the United States are inextricably linked. Um, it is historically a place of global terror projection. I believe that the clarion call for international terrorism was reinvigorated when we left with our tails between our legs. And I believe ISIS-K is going to make uh, Al-Qaeda look like a clown show. I do believe we will experience another cataclysmic attack here in the United States, probably at the hands of ISIS-K. And I think our short-sighted reaction mechanisms as a country when we get punched in the face is to go headlong right back into the source of the threat. Where do you think that's going to be? It's going to be back into uh, the caliphate once known as Khorasan, Afghanistan, and the graveyard of empires once again will, will wait for us. Except this time, we're going to have Afghan-trained security forces, Afghan-trained police who were abandoned with night vision goggles and other weapon systems on the ground. And then this time, it'll be my son going over to fight him instead of me. But regardless, it, that's what I think, it, that's where I think it is. And I think to, to acknowledge or recognize the Taliban as the legitimate of that government of that country when Vice President Saleh clearly made it out and he made it to, to the northern part of the country. He is the legitimate leader of that country. Um, I think we need to rethink our policy with Afghanistan. And I think we need to get behind the resistance and help them make a stand because that country is not going to let us go. Right. Yeah, we've got some long-term consequences to consider. This is not just a uh, four-year presidency or, or some kind of temporary political situation. And, and that's uh, a good point. I don't, if I could just ahead. build on that real quick is that, that this is something that I think uh, as Americans we need to demand of our politicians is, you know, I get it with the Trump-Biden, Republican-Democrat polarized swings. But when it comes to operating in a country like in Afghanistan, Iraq, Colombia, if we want to do right by our Marines and our soldiers and our sailors and our airmen, what we need to do is demand that our politicians look at the problem and not the politics. In other words, we can't have one administration doing one thing and then another administration coming in and undoing it because they didn't like that, part, that party's politics, right? The enemy has a vote. And the enemy will kick our rear end regardless. And we need some politicians, as I said earlier in our interview, that demonstrate the same kind of intellectual courage and moral courage that are reflective of our warriors and do the right thing regardless of politics. Like we should have administrations building on what the last administration did, not tearing it down and starting over because places like Afghanistan will literally eat our lunch if we don't start working together across the aisles when it comes to foreign policy, particularly national security. It's amateurish. Yeah, as sobering as it was to hear you describe the failure of the State Department, the Department of Defense, and just all of that, it was equally as inspiring to know that our retired military people have such capacity and will to help. You know? Thank you. And so if, if, if American citizens have so many 
resources, intellectual resources and skills to be able to solve these problems, then we need regular people to get involved in the political process because this political class has failed. And it's we need to step up the same way that your network of veterans have stepped up for this rescue effort. They need to step up into the political world. Uh, and they are. I'm seeing, I mean, a lot of, yeah. I'm seeing a lot of Me veterans too. running for office. Me too. And you know what? It doesn't have to be veterans, Sean. Like what I tell people is, you know, look, that was our Pineapple Express. We looked into the, we looked into the breach. We saw that leadership wasn't going to do it. And, and, and we didn't want to do it either. You know, we didn't want to, I didn't want to get involved with this again. I left that world behind me. You know, that world, that world, that world, that world sucked. You know, I left the world of soldiering behind me. I was proud to have done it, but I'd moved on. But we looked at it and we said, nobody else is coming. It's just us. We'll lead, you know, and these veterans did that. And my question to, to anybody watching this, whether you're a veteran or not, is what's your Pineapple Express, right? There's a, there's a moment right now in our country where we need leaders who look at the institutional leadership failures and say, I'm not good with this. I'm not good with this. And I'm going to lead. And it doesn't have to be like formal political titles. It can be just taking a responsible role in your PTA, stepping up to coach in a way that's, that's respectable. Like our kids need to see that. And if you, you know, really as veterans, that's the biggest thing we would love to see is because there's so many great leaders in this country. And like you said, the elite have failed us, right? But we take the microphone from them. That's the thing they're most scared of. Just take it. Right. I want to see if our technical director has the, the pictures that you submitted because you could describe them for us. So Jason, if you could... Okay, I guess Jason doesn't have the the photos available. Sorry. Uh, can you describe the uh, the movie uh, that that is coming out in twenty twenty two? Yeah. So um, it is the last out is is a story about a Green Beret sergeant named Danny Patton, and he's based on three team sergeants that I had, Sean, that didn't make it home, and Danny is killed in the very first scene, and. He, when he's killed, he wants to ascend to what we, uh, it's the warrior resting place that we know as Valhalla. He wants to ascend to that and no peace, but he's hanging on to something and he can't let go. So his best friend, Kenny, comes down from Valhalla, who was killed in the Pentagon on 9-11 with several other operators who are shapeshifters. And they take Danny back through his life and they become all of the people that made his heart pump the most blood. Uh, his wife, his child, his arch nemesis, Lieutenant Colonel Smith, his enemy uh, in the Taliban, um, and, and his the elder, Malik John, who basically became a father figure to him, and all these people. And Danny goes back through his life until he figures out what he's holding on to, and he lets go. And so the audience goes for this like two-hour, 19-minute roller coaster ride with Danny through his entire life, from the time he joined Special Forces, 9-11, multiple tours as the wheels started to come off this thing. And when it's done, whether you served in the military, whether you were a family member, a Gold Star family member, or a civilian, you are all connected with Danny Patton. And you you feel at a gut level what this modern war was like for him. And now you have a newfound appreciation for the cost of war that regardless of your politics, you'll never forget. And that's the whole purpose of it, is that I want Americans to feel at a gut visceral level the cost of combat and you can figure your politics out on your own. I don't frankly care. Right. But you, if you're going to ask my son, who's now an infantry lieutenant to go fight and die for our ideals, 
And you damn sure better know what it feels like to say goodbye to your wife at the airfield or to hold your son when you haven't seen him in months or to hold your buddy in his final moments. And if you don't, then don't send them. Right. So that's what this film's about. Um, it's all combat veterans and military family members who perform it. So there's no, you know, like Hollywood actors in it. I'm in it. I, I to complete my midlife crisis, I learned to act at age 50. Um, but it's a it's a it's a really high quality production, um, Sean. And we raised the money ourselves with our nonprofit. Um, and it was all veterans that produced it. I think I think Americans will be very proud of this of this little story. And uh, I think it will be, frankly, the seminal work of the war in Afghanistan told by those who lived it. And how can people watch it? Go to lastoutfilm.com. Um, we are right now finished putting the finishing touches on it. And I'm proud to say that it's going to come out on Amazon Prime uh, in early 2022. And all the proceeds from the film, when you pay to watch it, are going to go to us helping uh, opening a veteran performing arts center right here in Tampa, Florida, uh, to help our veterans and Afghan war veterans learn to tell their own story as they come home from service, as well as our Gold Star family members, our first responders, and our military families. We're going to teach them to use storytelling to heal and then they're going to perform for local civilians and civilians who come to watch the show. So uh, it's just goodness all around. And uh, storytelling, you know, it heals us, Sean. And, and I think storytelling is what we need right now as we try to get our head around this really, really hard topic of the Afghan war. Absolutely. Uh, I feel like the collective consciousness of American citizens took a major gut punch in that botched mm. withdrawal. It's been yeah. really demoralizing. I know that it's the veterans who have, you know, borne the brunt of the the cost of this war over the decades. But the American citizens, the families, the communities, we've been feeling it over the years too. And then when that withdrawal happened and tried to demean the value of that cost, uh, it was traumatic for all of us. And I think we do need a way to heal, but we can't ever forget. No. all of those men and women who risked their life and, and, and gave their lives. And so I think a project like yours with veterans, you know, creating it and benefiting from it is exactly what we need. So make sure you go to uh, the, the domain name. You said it's last, last out last, film last out film com. That's right. Yep. And we'll have, we'll have, uh, you can watch our documentary right there right now while you're waiting on the film to come out and then we'll be posting, um, if you want to, you know, just subscribe right there, you, we'll let you know um, when it's out uh, in early 2022. And again, there's no greater way really to honor, to do exactly what you said, Sean, and you're right. Um, you know, stories are how we heal. Stories are how we remember. And stories are how we find meaning uh, in really, really hard times. And, you know, the American people sacrificed a lot too. It may not feel like it to some, but you did, and you, and you supported us when we went away, and, and you likely have connections to the military. And so um, we all we all lost some, uh, some more than others, but we all lost, and we all suffered this moral injury. And how we tell the story, and how we remember this, and how we emerge from this, to include supporting our Afghan partners and our veterans who are still on the phone. Let's please not forget them this holiday season. There are a lot of veteran volunteers who are still on the phone um, who are not going to quit on these people. And we just ask our American citizens not to quit either. 
Thank you so much for your inspiring story. Also looking forward to your book. Uh, maybe that yeah. will eventually become a movie movie as well because it's some powerful it stories. I yeah. think it might. Yeah. Yeah. I think it might. Thank you so much, uh, Lieutenant Colonel Scott Mann for joining us. We're going to go to a, a short break. We'll be back for the final announcements. everyone, this is John Michael Chambers with American Media Periscope. On December 4th, 2021, American Media Periscope sponsored an event, a Christmas gathering at my home titled The Revitalization for Patriots in the Spirit of Christmas. Among the guests who attended were Dr. Sherry Tenpenny, Patriot Street Fighter Scott McKay, James Grunvig, the intuitive warrior Michael Jaco, Don Martin, Graham Ledger, Kirk Elliott, Lee Valentine, Lieutenant Scott Bennett, Alexandra Bruce, Kevin Jenkins, Dr. and Mrs. Chen, and so many other friends and fellow patriots. It really was a break from the battlefield for just one day, a chance for patriots to meet and mingle and simply enjoy our time together in the spirit of Christmas. There was also a special live musical performance by me, your humble host, with guitar in hand, as the house full of patriots joined in singing along beautiful Christmas music. I'm honored and thankful for all that attended from all across the country. We had an absolute blast until the wee hours of the morning. And then an all day meeting was convened the following day, Sunday, to discuss the direction of American Media Periscope in 2022 and beyond. Then on Monday, we all met in studio for a panel roundtable discussion. Never before have these powerful patriot influences of our time been convened for such a session and the good news is we will be sharing segments of that party and the full roundtable session with you, our friends and fellow patriots. So stay tuned to American Media Periscope for the announcement and release of this video production. Be sure to sign up for free or join us in the premium membership portal to gain access to this historical roundtable. Believe me, you do not want to miss this. So thank you again for following and supporting American Media Periscope. We are America's Patriot-only super channel. All right. Well, on December 28th at 8 p.m. Eastern, there will be a Zoom call event with James Grumvig and Dave Shostokis, and premium subscribers will be able to ask their questions right there in that live event. Tomorrow at 6 p.m. Eastern, we have the Mesa County Clerk, Tina Peters, 
She's been targeted by the deep state for standing up for election integrity. And up next at 8 p.m. Eastern, we have Patriot Street Fighter. God bless all you patriots. Good night and good luck. Hello, everyone. This is John Michael Chambers, the creator and founder of American Media Periscope. At Periscope, we deliver the news behind the news and the story behind the story as we are, in fact, on the pulse of truth. American Media Periscope now enters its second year, and I'd like to take this moment and thank you for your continued support. Periscope has a mission unlike any other broadcasting company today because it is centered around you. We are living through raging psyops, sting ops, intelligence and information war, where other media companies lie and deceive without any shame or moral conscience. We at Periscope are fighting this information war. Many of our show hosts come from the medical, legal, military, and intelligence communities, and we are aggressive in our approach and focused on the mission of restoring our Constitution by empowering you, the American patriot community, with the knowledge, information, skills, attitudes, and insights that will empower you to understand and better serve your family, your community, your town, your state, and our nation. You will meet people on our social media platforms that will help you build teams and you will be empowered and trained to help President Trump and the White Hats take this country back. So won't you please join us for free or in our premium membership portal and receive all of the best information that the deep state is desperately, desperately trying to silence. But nothing can stop what's coming. We've been anointed by God to do this and we want to invite you to join in this anointing and be blessed by helping us remain informed, empowered, and connected. We are America's Patriot-only super channel. Watch for the release of American Media Periscope's new website, as well as additional programming, as we welcome new news anchors and show hosts to our platform. Sign up by visiting AmericanMediaPeriscope.net. And again, as American Media Periscope now enters its second year, I'd like to take this moment and thank you very, very much from the bottom of my heart for your continued support. Where we go one, we go all.